about last episode was the fall of the Aksumite Empire and sort of the rise of the Zagwe dynasty. Now we're going to be talking about the rise of the Shawa dynasty. So, yeah, that'll be interesting. We'll be talking about the effects it has on Tigray. So we're going to be going mostly like maybe like 13th, 14th, 15th century. So that's like late 1200s, 1300s, 1400s. We might go into the 1500s. We'll see. Hopefully we can get uncle here. Okay. So yeah. um, mm -hmm. Pin this. Oh, he's here. Okay. Pin the comment. Comment pinned. Let me, okay, now I'll send everybody. Okay, and I'm going to try and bring up Uncle Everybody. Okay. Uncle, let us know in the comments if it's working or if it's not working, because I saw a thing where you can have multiple people, multiple people up, so... I'm hoping that works this time. Yeah, you know, you guys don't really need me. So um, mm -hmm. <laughs> if it's not working, uh, mm -hmm. I'm We out. can just get uncle. Yeah, yeah. You're the, you're the disposable one, Fabu. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it worked. Whoa. We're so high tech now. I know. It's the dream team. What's going on? What's going on? What's up, Uncle Zahawi? Come home. It's a book. How did you get it blurry? Like this is a, a new. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. That, okay. I I okay. All right. So okay, guys, no introduction needed. You already know Memher Danny, Memher Uncle. The historians, Canada's finest, here to teach you guys today about um, mm, well, how do you pronounce it? Shawin. Shawin. Shawin dynasty. Shawin dynasty. All right. Okay. So yeah, and just so oh, everybody so knows, if you have sorry, is there something you want to say, Fabu? Yeah, I just wanted to let everybody know, guys. Make sure you put your comments. Sorry, your questions in the question box. Okay. I will catch the questions in the comments. That's why I'm here. But just make my life easier and put the questions in the question box. Nothing is off the table. Whatever you guys want to talk about, they're here to answer. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I guess we'll just get started. So, like, okay, Uncle, can you give us a little, like, so after the fall of the Zagwe uh, uh, dynasty, we see Amdetsion. Amdetsion, uh, or no, sorry, Yakuno Amlak. Yes, is the first Shoan uh, emperor. So mm -hmm. what can you tell us about that time period? How did Yukuna Amlak get into that position? Okay, so ultimately what we do understand is that uh, there was an issue with the Egyptian church uh, mm -hmm. and they refused to send an Awun, meaning a metropolitan or a bishop, uh, even under the Zagwe dynasty. So a lot of time uh, we went without having bishops, without having bishops can't have priests or deacons to serve in the church. So um, at the time of uh, a more uh, popular saint, Aonatak um, he came, he came out uh, saying that the great, great 
grandchild of the last Aksumite emperors uh, is here, who was a clothes washer at uh, the monastery of, I think, Yesus Ma'a, found in present-day Wallo. Uh, he was a monk by the name of Tesfa Yesus. And uh, Tesfa Yesus uh, was obviously, you know, like, as I mentioned, uh, had the claim that he was a great-great-grandchild. And the restoration of the Aksumite emperors will happen with Tesfa Yesus. Uh, so Tesfayosus goes to uh, to Aksum. There's this whole kind of drama going on. Or who are you? And I'm the son of the Aksumites. And what's your like uh, lineage? And then they go through this almost play of sorts. And um, he passes this test of uh, proving himself to be the, the, the descendant of the Aksumites. And uh, is crowned Yukun Amlak. Uh, so Okay. The, the narrative that this is a restoration of the Solomonic emperors, uh, or the, the bloodline I'm saying of Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. Um, as I mentioned before, there was already this narrative that the Queen of Sheba and uh, King Solomon had a child in many, in many languages, in many areas, be it Syria, Egypt, and whatnot. So mm-hmm. kind of taking this narrative and applying it to himself um, is what we see with Yukonamlaq. But, okay, uh, you, can, you can definitely bring it up. So one one question I have is: so you said the the Egyptians refused to send um, a, a metropolitan or a patriarch for Ethiopia. Yeah. So the, the two questions: can you explain why that was a thing? Why was the leader of our church sent from Egypt? And then also, can you explain why um, they were not sending one at that time? Okay, so I guess this goes back all the way to uh, Saint Athanasius, who was a doctor of the of the church. He was a patriarch mm-hmm. of Egypt. Uh, he's famous uh, for the um, founding of the New Testament canon. So when we say the New Testament, twenty-seven books, meaning four gospels, the epistles, uh, and Johannes or Revelations, uh, it's it goes back to Saint Athanasius. And uh, the reason why this is important is because when uh, Prumentius uh, the, um, this is one of the shipwrecked uh, Syrians that came at the time of uh, Izana Taylana or Abrahwa Atoha. We see that uh, he goes to to Egypt, and he he himself is nominated to be uh, the metropolitan. So he comes back as Kesat Ibrahim Awun Salama. Now, the 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 excuse that they gave was, "Who knows the Ethiopians better than you?" So they ordained him first the metropolitan. Now, we don't exactly have a full schematic uh, list of, uh, of uh, bishops that came to serve in uh, Ethiopia. There is rumor or there is a, a thought that, um, that there were Ethiopian bishops at the time. Mm-hmm. But we don't know. So what we do know, though, is that there was a, consistently a group of uh, people sent from Ethiopia uh, to Egypt and they would go, go bearing gifts like gold, incense, so on and so forth, and we would receive a, an album or a metropolitan. Mm-hmm. Um, in the beginning, it's, uh, it's understandable. You know, we don't really have monasteries in, uh, at that level uh, and many other things as well. But uh, through time and through whatever issues that may have been, for example, the uh, Egypt being controlled by certain groups of people, I don't want to exactly say who, but, uh, you know, and so on and so forth, there was, there was troubling relations between the two countries, uh, especially, like, later down, later down the line. Um, mm-hmm. Then there was an issue of Syrians coming to Ethiopia. 
So uh, many, many Syrians uh, from the Syrian Orthodox Church were coming to Ethiopia, serving the emperors and whatnot. The Egyptians didn't like that. Uh, but ultimately, when the Zagwe took over, the, the Egyptian church uh, position was that we don't recognize anybody outside of the Aksumite line. Uh, if you're not from that line, we don't, we don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. So we, we don't have relations with you, kind of thing. Uh, so there was a refusal for, for many uh, centuries, essentially. Uh, there was times where they would passively send, a, send somebody. And also a lot of times Syrians were coming in during the Zagwe dynasty. Uh, we even see that even at the time of Yukon Amnak, where there are Syrian emissaries, uh, monks, uh, so on and so forth. Right? Many of our saints are in fact Syrian. Uh, mm-hmm. Another evidence of this is that the Ethiopian church, although is liturgically Alexandrian, meaning uh, Egyptian, is very much influenced by Syrian theology and Syrian uh, spirituality. So as both groups are Semitic, you see a Semitic way of... Uh, of you know um, thinking, so for example, typology, kind of connecting both Old Testament and New Testament um, ideas and presenting mm-hmm. them in a way in, in a certain way is a very Semitic uh, approach. We see Saint Ephraim the Syrian uh, doing this, and then we also see Saint Yared doing this. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so a Syrian link is definitely there. The nine saints, all obviously being Syrian as well. Um, so the Egyptians didn't like this at first, so. That, that probably contributed to, to why they didn't send anyone. But again, it's still, uh, it's still a speculation. Okay, so, so there seems to be an interesting link between the church and the legitimacy of the monarchy, right? Yes, yeah, exactly, exactly. So the, the monarchy has to be legitimized by the church. So that's yes, why exactly. we see um, the relationship with Yukuno Amlak and that that um, monk you were speaking about, yes, and like you said, yes. there was like a play because he needs to be legitimate in the eyes of the church before mm-hmm. he be- can become the ruler of of uh, you know Ethiopia at that time, exactly. right? Yeah. Okay. So, are you familiar with um, Ingeda Igzi? Ingeda Igzi, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. You, I believe you... he was the. Uh... If I, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think he was Akabe Tenten, or he was uh, yeah, Akabe Tenten. No, yeah, uh, Akabe Tenten, okay, yeah. and I think I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right. There was another Aksumite title he held, uh, Hasgwa. Has, okay, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Wait, 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 wait. What's Akabe and whatever? You okay. I know if I people are confused. Okay, so so at the during Yakuno Amlak's time, so this is the 1300s after the Shoan Dynasty comes into power. The mm-hmm. governor of Enderta was Ingida yes. Igzi, right? Yeah. And he was the most powerful northern ruler at that time. Mm-hmm. And his son succeeded him, and his son was named Tesfana Igzi, mm-hmm. right? Yes, exactly, exactly. And like um, uh, uncle was telling us, he held the titles of Hasba. I don't know what Hasba means. And then how did you pronounce the other one? Akavye um, Tansan. Okay. And so, that means keeper of the fly whisks. Yes, exactly. Which is an ancient Aksumite title. Yeah. Okay. So what we see at that time with him in him just holding those titles is him threatening the Shawan dynasty. So I'm trying to condense here. So as early as 1305, Tesfan Igzi refers to Enderta as his kingdom. And his son and successor, I don't know how to pronounce this. I don't know if you do, uncle. There you go. And in his land grant, he doesn't even mention the emperor. Right. Mm. Mm. 
So that's him saying like, I'm my own dude, you know, I'm going to do what I'm going to do and I don't know you. So yeah. eventually he rebels. So this is something a lot of people don't know. He rebelled. This is in the 1300s. This is roughly 1320-ish. Mm -hmm. And he unsuccessfully invited the governor of Tembien to join him, but he refused. Yes. And we see the emperor at that time was Amdetseon. This is a different emperor. Mm -hmm. He responds swiftly. He kills the governor. Wait, yes. wait. Why did yeah. the Tembien governor refuse? I don't know, uncle. Do you know? Yeah, I we don't find exactly, yeah, we don't exactly see much. But it, it is important to understand that at this time, there's no real uh, provincial schematic map kind of thing. So there's no like Tigray as we know it today, for example. Mm -hmm. There were these Aurajas or these, uh, like, like we heard, uh, kingdoms, essentially, or city-states, as they, as they always were uh, prior to a certain time. So Endata was on its own. Tembin was on its own. And they all had this Sium, which nowadays mm -hmm. would be called Shum. So Shum Tembin or Sium Tembin, Sium Endata, Sium Agame would rule their uh, city-states. Mm -hmm. uh, and we even see like a falling away from Aksum as being the capital of the Aksumid Empire, moving much uh, farther east. Um, at, at an earlier period. So these city-states kind of formed. Or they probably were already there. But, uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, sorry, continue. No, yeah, um, good clarification. So, yeah, like he said, there was no unity at the time. So that's why that guy didn't help. Um, so eventually he gets killed. Um, and Amdatsion takes the titles of, you know, the, the governor of Enderta, and he sort of divides them and awards them to different people, and uh, people who weren't considered lowly, uh, of lowly origin, and they were very unpopular. They were described as men who were not born from Adam and Eve and who were called Halestiotat. Uh, Do you know? Halestiotat, oh my goodness. Uh, I uh, don't remember, actually. It's a term literally meaning bastard of mixed yeah, yeah, or low yeah. oranges. Okay. Yeah. Wait, bastard of what? Bastard of, of mixed or low origins. I don't know if it's an Aksumite is term or if it's a Tigrinya uh, term. Again. How would you spell it? It's H-A-L-E-S-T-I-Y-O-T-A-T. Halestiotat. Halestiotat. Okay, yeah, yeah. Halestiotat. Halestiotat. Okay. And so, and then we also see Andetzion sends um, essentially a group of troops to form a camp in Enderta to keep the area from rebelling it again and make sure that they're squarely under his rule. And I'm pretty sure Andetzion's wife was um, a, a woman from what is now Tigray, a Tigrinya-speaking person, yes. Yes. to legitimize his rule. Because you have to remember, this dynasty is very, very new, and they're trying to make sure that they are, um, you know, their uh, rule is stable and it's, it's, it's the people see it as being uh, an integral part of the empire. Um, okay, so now we're going to, like, move on. Is there anything you want to say, uh, any uncle? Do you have any comments, anything you want to add? Yeah, uh, there was also a few situations going on at the time of uh, Andetion, mm -hmm. uh, mainly that of uh, the Tigray, uh, the fighting with the Tigray Makonnen and replacing a lot of the regional, the traditional rulers, as you mentioned earlier. So the two major ones would be one in Ambassaneti, found in present-day Arwa Auraja, and then the other one uh, being the Bahar Nagasi, which is in present-day mm -hmm. uh, Sarai or in Eritrea, uh, in uh, Dawarwa. So the traditional rulers uh, were, were essentially killed and replaced. 
I don't know, not only them, but uh, throughout the areas, uh, to kind mm-hmm. of uh, formal formalize the control or um, what's the word? Um, I guess holding of this area. Yeah. Okay. Um, so another important person at this time, and I'm I'm very interested for you to explain to us about this gentleman is a guy named, um, I don't know how to pronounce this properly. I know you're going to know how to say his name, though. Eustatios? Aona Eustatios. Okay. So, Febu, come on, man. I can't Okay, okay. It's not just me, then? It's Greek, by the way. It's a giz formation of a Greek original name. Okay. Okay. It's not native to us. So, Tell us, what can you tell us about this man and why he's important? Um, yeah, just why he's important. Okay, so he was a, a monk. I want to start as a monk from present-day Endartha, from a, a place called uh, Tzara. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the major importance of this monk is that he, he was a part of the, well, he's the founder of this movement, which was uh, basically pushing... Uh, like the the maintaining of the uh, Sunday, uh, Saturday Sabbath. So in the Ethiopian Orthodox Sohoto Church, and obviously with the Eritrean Orthodox Sohoto Church, they, um, they were purporting uh, this uh, maintaining of both Sabbath, Saturday and Sunday. So your parents may tell you guys, um, when they were children, you would do all the work on Friday, and Saturday and Sunday would, would be no work. Um, so in the south, in areas uh, like Shoah, Saturday, Sunday worship, I mean, Sunday Sabbath was kept, Saturday was like a regular, uh, a regular day, but the Eostatians refused to accept such a behavior, and they maintained this uh, Saturday Sabbath. And it went as far as going to the uh, the court of Egypt, I mean the Church of Egypt, and he defended his position there. I think the emperor at the time was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Zaraiko. If I'm not um, mistaken. Yeah, he lived from 1273 to 1352. So yeah, he was around for a few emperors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, he's also famous for uh, monasteries, like or being uh, the godfather or the spiritual leader to monasteries such as Debra Bizan with Awana Philippos, uh, Awana Absadi. Like a lot of the monasteries that are found in Eritrea, specifically in Sarai or Zawadawu, are attributed either to him or by the students of him. Uh, so yeah, like the north, say places like Gondar, uh, Tigray, and Eritrea would maintain the Saturday Sabbath. But then in other places like Shoah, Gojam, or Wolo, they may not have. But yeah, that, that's the, that was the main, the main um, controversy mm-hmm. with Aunaya statues. Okay, so yeah, we see that controversy within the church where it's the Sabbath. He's saying the Sabbath should also be celebrated on Saturday because that's the original one from the Old Testament, but yes. also on Sunday because that's the day Jesus died, right? Yes, exactly. So then, now we go on to a very, very interesting man, Abba Stephanos. <laughs> very so, controversial okay so tell us about this man why he's controversial this is all the way up to I think the 15th century but 1400 so we're skipping about 100 years this is because um, this period of time is almost like a dark age for Tigray mm-hmm. there's not that much info most of the info is about the Shawan dynasty so it's hard to find info in the 13th, 14th, 15th uh, centuries before we move on to Abba Estefanos, is there anything you want to talk about in the 1300s before we move on? Um, no, I mean, like, we pretty much touched on uh, the main uh, the main points. Okay. Uh, 
so as you mentioned, you know, there was this um, validation of the Solomonic dynasty uh, within the country, uh, internally and externally. We mm-hmm. also see controversies in the church. Uh, like, for example, starting with the Saturday, uh, Saturday Sabbath with Aona Stepanos, I mean, Aona Eostatios. And now we can kind of like delve into Aona Stepanos. Okay, so tell us about him. Why is he controversial? What did he believe? What was he doing? Okay, so um, the issue with Aona Stepanos, it's, it's still kind of uh, hotly debated, actually. Oh, really? This isn't, today, yeah. this isn't settled? Yeah, no, because uh, you have a movement of uh, clergy and uh, Likaun, meaning scholars of the church, mm-hmm. who are supportive of him. In fact, he's a saint. Uh, and then you also have another group that kind of considers him uh, a heretic mm-hmm. uh, or a fanatic. So certain groups, like even like a lot of the Tahadiso or Ethiopian Protestants will even go as far as saying he was a Protestant of sorts, mm-hmm. uh, in some sense. But uh, I mean, that's... Uh, I would say pushing it to say the least. But to kind of explain uh, on uh, Stephanos is that he was a monk, uh, a very spiritual monk, a learned man. He was a, a copyist. You know, he was somebody who would write the Bible and other church documents in Giz. Um, he became a monk in um, in Aouna Teklahimano Monastery in Shara. It's a place called Koyetza Teklahimano. So being a monk there, uh, it was extremely spiritual and it was very influential uh, amongst the monks there to the point where the abbot of the monastery started having problems with him. Uh, so he would preach, he would talk, like he would commit the monks to be more spiritual and less worldly, not to drink things like suwa and mis, uh, and commit themselves to, to fasting, prayer, and uh, prostration. Uh, so it got to the point where I guess the abbot could be viewed as being jealous of sorts. Uh, because he was he was becoming very influential, and uh, he was even uh, barred from certain uh, spiritual practices like preaching and all that. Uh, Wait, so long story short, because he was gaining popularity. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, he had some he had some beliefs, didn't he, that were yeah, unpopular. <laughs> yeah, well, we're gonna we're gonna see that also. <laughs> we're gonna get to it, don't worry. Is she, is she. Uh, <laughs> we're all waiting for the so, tea. So, yeah, <laughs> so um, he gets uh, you know kind of like kicked out of the monastery, brought back and whatnot. And ultimately, he was uh, he was taught by this monk that came from Shoa, uh, Awuna Gebra Nazrawi. He has a monastery in uh, Hausian area, a big monastery. It's something similar to like Debra Damo in the sense that you gotta climb by rope to get to it. Um, but yeah, so with Awuna Stefanos, uh, he, so he goes around and he has this movement of people. Uh, so there's like this, you can call it a reformation of sorts, but not a reformation in belief, but in uh, organization, right? Um, if you weren't somebody who was learned, you couldn't teach. And the priests were reduced to these, uh, these people who would uh, receive confession and uh, administer the Holy, the, the Holy Eucharist, meaning the, the body and blood of Christ, uh, communion. And uh, there was this kind of formation of Mahabharas. So the Mahabharata is basically you, you, you gather around uh, for, say, Merhani Alam. And in, in commemoration of that person, like, there would be a group. So they had their own Mahabharata. Now, the controversy now with Aunay Stephanos was later on down the line, there's Zara'iqob, the same emperor we spoke about earlier. And uh, Zara'iqob, uh, he, uh, he was something of a, 
I mean, like, you know, he, he was a, an educated person in the church, right? He was a monk before, or almost a monk before becoming emperor. It was somebody who stepped down from the monastery as a monk and then uh, became emperor, right? So he, he, he delved in a lot of church matters, for example, with Aunus Eustatios. Uh, he settled the, uh, the Sunday Sabbath and was in agreement with Aunus Eustatios. But with Aunus Stephanos, something, uh, I would say, almost radical happened. The refusal to bow down to the emperor. Now, the reason why this was significant was because there was a practice of bowing down to the emperor's name, even if it was brought up. In oh, wait. Oh, yeah, did we do it? Yeah. Uncle? Oh, no. Oh, does he? Can you hear us? Technical difficulties, guys. So I'll just I'll just start talking until until we can get him back. So what he's essentially saying is like, um, and you know he'll go more into into more detail when he comes back. Is that he rejected the idea of prostration to the emperor, which is a big deal politically, right? Because as he was about to say, that's a huge part of the culture. I didn't know that that they had to prostrate before the emperor even when they said his name. So and someone else just listed here, he had seven. Um, a list of seven things that he rejected from the church. So I'll list them. Rejection of prostration to religious icons. Rejection of prostration to saints and angelic beings. Rejection of prostration to the emperor Zara Yaqob. Rejection of the claim of the Solomonic dynasty. So that's very interesting because he's also rejecting the, the, the central claim that allows the Shawan dynasty to say they are the legitimate rulers of Ethiopia. Rejection of Tabot, so the replicas of the Ark of the Covenant. Reorganization of church buildings from being sanctuary temples to assembly halls and rejection of prayer to dead saints and angelic beings. So there's two interesting things going on there. Uncle, are you there yet? Nope. Okay. <laughs> can you um, kick him? He can come back in. Damn, your you know, Wi Fi yeah. is weird too. Me? Oh no. Is, it, is be there? <laughs> better now. It's better now. Okay. But... Yeah, Let me see, see if you... I can. Come back. Um, I'm going to remove him. Okay. And then we're going to reinvite uncle. Let me just search. Are you allowed to do it, Febo, or is it just me? Mm -mm. Doesn't matter. He's just, yeah, there you go. Yes. What D 70. That's okay. Thank you for sharing. Okay. How's your audio now, uncle? Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, was I, was I cut off? You were cut off. I don't. You were probably rambling about. You cut off oh, when you man. talked about um, him saying. Uh, sorry, you were saying that people even had to prostrate before the emperor when they said his name. So that's where you cut off. Okay. Oh man. Okay. So I'll rewind. Wait, that, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah. So um, so basically, with the uh, the bringing up of the emperor's name, the uh, the person would have to bow down. Now. Mm -hmm. The Stephenites' uh, position was, you know, um, bowing down is only for the Lord, meaning only for God. We don't bow down to people. We don't bow down to, uh, like, the emperor. So out of refusing to bow down to the emperor, the emperor is, is angry. He's crazed. Um, he has an issue now. Um, right? Uh, so, but the, the on the side of the emperor, though, the the accusation was that he's refusing to bow down to Saint Mary and the cross. So what happens is um, there's this kind of reenactment, right? Like in front of the priest, I, I mean, in front of the emperor, 
I, I think it's in front of the emperor, if I'm not mistaken. And they bring all three things. An icon of St. Mary, uh, the cross, and then a picture of the emperor. And then, um, you know, they accuse him of not being willing to bow down to the, the uh, what's it called? To the icon and to the cross. But the Stephenites maintain that we refuse to bow down to the emperor because he's just a man. Um, so there's this back and forth. You know, you see writings in the Amper Mariam. You see writings in... Uh, and the Stephenites' writings. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the writings were burnt. Um, the accusation was that, you know, he refused to, uh, to acknowledge things like tablets or icons and so on and so forth. But I mean, um, depending on which writings that you read, I mean, you'll, you'll get differing, uh, differing uh, positions. So mm-hmm. the Stephenites, um, the, the Stephenites, they have... Um, their own tradition of actual uh, icons. If you go to the monastery of Gundagundo, which is found in Sa'azi Zaramba, just uh, not too far outside of Eragaham, south of Adigar, he has a monastery, and they have their own style of icons, which kind of shows like, well, wait, you know, maybe his view on the icons is not the same as what the Zara'iqobs, the followers of Zara'iqob are, are saying. Uh, there's the Amr Maryam as well, but there's differing... Um, no uh, themes. So ultimately, the the issue is about bowing down to the emperor. Uh, but on one side, of course, you see he refused to bow down to Saint, to the icon of Saint Mary and to the cross. But um, the, the the monks of uh, of uh, the Stephenites don't necessarily agree with that. Mm-hmm. So, so we see some. Major. Go on, Fabu. Well, I was just going to ask. So when you say they were burned, who burned them? The uh, the Stephenites, mm-hmm. the oh the the followers of the emperor, they were persecuted. Ultimately, they were persecuted by the emperor, and they were being killed for a certain amount of, uh, you know, a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. And so, I was saying sorry when you were gone, Uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two interesting things there. Mm-hmm. One is the political aspect that you mentioned, that he's mm-hmm. refusing to bow to the emperor. And mm-hmm. one of the seven things that he claimed, I read them out earlier, is the rejection of the claim of Solomonic dynasty, which is mm-hmm. essentially rejecting the legitimacy of yes. him and his uh, ancestors. Yes. So yes, that's, yes. that's the political element. Mm-hmm. Another very interesting thing is that, you know, in some way, like you said, we see the, the Dechika and Estefanos and that those beliefs they've carried on for some time. And there's a lot of similarity between the things he was saying and the Protestant Reformation in Europe. People Mm -hmm. have uh, compared them. So for those of you who don't know, the Protestant Reformation in Europe was in roughly the 1500s. So at that point in time, if you were Christian, you were basically, there was like Catholic, Orthodox, and Oriental Orthodoxes, which is what we are. Basically two. And Martin Luther, he like he put up, I forget how many of them. There's a bunch of like, you know, yeah, 95 demands. or 99, yeah. 95 or 99, something like that. He put them on a door and that basically changed Christianity in the world forever because all these different, you know, sects of Christianity we know about that are not, you know, Orthodox or Catholic are considered a Protestant, mm-hmm. and, you know, Protestant, protesting against the church. So, you know, Lutheran, Baptist, blah, 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 all those things. Mm-hmm. But a very interesting fact is that Martin Luther and his compatriots consulted with Ethiopian monks yeah. and priests while they were coming up with those uh, uh, demands. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and so it's possible that on some level they may have been talking to people who were influenced by the Estefanos and his, uh, yeah, the Estefanos. So that's a very interesting connection that exists there. So, you know, a guy from Tigray who was thinking a little bit differently about the church and, and the, the way things are done and an influence he may have had on Europe and possibly the world. Mm-hmm. Okay. So next up, we're shifting again, like another 100 years to roughly the 1600s, which is a bit of a jump, but I want to, it's mostly because I want to get to someone interesting. Um, is there anything you want to say about the period roughly from the 1400s to the 1600s? Anything in Tigray that you think that's important, Uncle? Um, I mean, the, uh, let me see here, 1400 to 1600? Yeah, there's a lot going on in Ethiopia proper, but like is yeah. anything in Tigray or anything in Ethiopia that affected Tigray? Yeah, I mean, the, the, there's obviously, you know, um, different situations. Like, for example, the no, yeah, 1600s, I think that's uh, the, the introduction of the Ottomans into, mm-hmm. into the into Eritrea. Um, yeah. Oh, my goodness. The thing is, I'm bad with the dates. Uh, sometimes I kind of go... I know. Down. For uh, me, I'm the main for, thing I, I can think of is the, the Portuguese... Okay, yes, the Portuguese come in the 1500s, don't they? Yes, yeah. Okay, yes, yes, yes. So, I guess, I would say the the, uh, the issue with Ahmed Grand, the, mm-hmm. the Ahmed Grand war, uh, the, at least the war with Ahmed Grand, uh, mm-hmm. that was probably one of the, uh, the, the well, I mean, the biggest situations happened in, in Ethiopian, uh, in more e- recent Ethiopian history, within the past thousand years. Yeah. Devastating the country, literally. Mm-hmm. Um so I mean, with with that that being said, I mean we have we we see, for example, Ahmed Zion going as far as um, uh, I think Somaliland, maybe Zayla, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. If not Zayla, he's probably going to places like Harar and and the such extracting uh, tribute. Uh, you know, like the the two groups. So you have the Ifat Kingdom. I think it's called Ifat Kingdom, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Ifat Kingdom is literally right beside the Abyssinian Kingdom. The the Ifat is essentially the Afar, the Somali, the Oromo. Uh, in the in the eastern side of the country. Now that being said, they they had their own uh, section. Harar was the capital, and um, they were they were the means in which trade would come into areas like Shoa. So anything coming to Shoa, the trade line would come from that area, the mm-hmm. Djibouti slash Somaliland area. Trade though in Gwandar uh, ultimately would come from Eritrea. So another thing is like what I what I bring up to a lot of people, we can kind of see the diffusion of cultures. So starting from Eritrea, when we get to two places, Akalogaza and Sarai, what makes them very different is that there's these two trade lines. Now, when we see this trade line from Sarai, uh, starting from Sarai, uh, Sarai to Alwa to also Shara, Walkait and Gwandar, there's this this is culture that we see that's pretty similar. Uh, jokes aside, I mean, they're all known to be quite dry or better people and say, ultimately ending in one law represents another, um, another cluster of uh, of culture, right? Much more uh, polite, um, soft spoken. Uh, you kind of see more, um, like for example, if I go to Ma'ala. 
Guaitawa, Camelom, the Handiom, it's more, it's more polite. Uh, yeah, yeah. My mom says it's like listless, listless. Listless, 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 listless. <laughs> So even the wait, which areas did you say those were? Uh, <laughs> which is the eastern half of uh, Zawadu in mm-hmm. the present-day Eritrea, uh, Agame or Zawamebra, which is obviously Kutaul Alo, Wuro. You get also uh, Enderta to some parts of course Tambien, uh, Wajarat, Ndamhoni, Ofla, uh, Raya Azawo, Alamata, Kobo. Ultimately ending in places like Wollo. One sec, Uncle. For those of you who don't know all those locations, it's basically east side versus west side. Yeah. That's, what it, that's what it is. Sorry. Yeah, so Go on. Which, which represents uh, this divide even within Tigray today. Not to say divide in a, in a negative sense, mm. but this cluster of culture, which is somewhat yeah. similar. Like Aru Aksum Saraya and the Wakai generally have this uh, dialect of Tigray that's ultimately similar. Um... If you go to like places like Agame and Derta, Akalogze, it represents another cluster or uh, dialect, including, of course, Raya. Um, and they have their own development of things, which, which goes along with trade, because ultimately people intermingle because of trade. So it represents that kind of uh, situation. But ultimately, uh, why I bring this up is because with the Ahmed Grand situation, the point of connection is, is through this trade line. Which ultimately is this Somali land, like Red Sea area, uh, going all the way to Shoah. And the, the Abyssinian emperors would go and extract tribute. Uh, the issue with Ahmed Grant, to be honest, off the top, I don't remember. Mm. But it, it's something that leads to the destruction of the Abyssinian Empire at, the, at that moment, at least. Yeah. You, and, and the interesting thing is, you see, they call in the Portuguese. Mm-hmm. And they essentially come and they have a huge effect because they came in with like, you know, guns that were modern at the time. They're like matchlock rifles. Exactly. And there's about 400 of them and they had a devastating effect on the, the Adel Sultanate. Yes. Um, and then we see the, the guy, the leader was actually Cristóvão da Gama, who's the son of Vasco da Gama, you know, one of the explorers who went to, I think, North America or South America. I don't remember my high school history. <laughs> but um, there's a long history with um, the Portuguese in Ethiopia and them trying to convert the emperors and the people to Catholicism. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of, uh, they were almost successful, but eventually the group ended up mixing and settling in different parts of Tigray. Mm-hmm. And a little interesting fact is that the word for orange is a bastardization of the word Portugal, Bertukan. And we see that in different parts of the world, depending on who brought the, the orange, whether it was brought by, if it was brought by land, it's something like orange or aranchi. And if it was brought by sea, by the Portuguese, it's like Portugal, Bortucan. So you'll see in other countries, it's, it's called Bortucan. Yeah. So that's why it's called Bortucan, because it was brought by the Portuguese. Um, and at that period of time, we have a very interesting person who comes from Tigray. Right, we have a gentleman from Tigray who was around during the port uh, when the Portuguese were there when they were influencing the emperor. The emperor had actually converted to Catholicism. His name is Zara Yakob. Yes. So, what can you tell us about the man Zara Yakob? Okay, so Zara Yakob was obviously somebody who um, was from Aksum. Mm-hmm. He grows up uh, studying in the church. As he studies, mm-hmm. he's told that uh, he doesn't exactly have a, a voice for singing. So generally what happens in the traditional schools, uh, there's two lines. You either go to become a mergita, 
which is a mm -hmm. chapter. And then uh, you can also go and become a uh, a leek, which is somebody who studies books, like the New Testament, Old Testament, so on, and philosophy, so on and so forth. So being told that he doesn't exactly have a voice, he's kind of basically told in a nice way, go to the other stream. So he goes to study uh, the, the faith. So he studies and um, he has certain views that may not be acceptable and then goes to study with the Catholics. And mind you, he becomes a monk and all of that. So he goes, studies from both groups and he develops his own theology, meaning uh, he doesn't exactly agree with either or groups for his own reasons. That he states in his, uh, I think, um, but he still believes in God. Uh, but he, he refuses like this uh, this choice this having to choose between one or the other. Sees that a lot of people are fighting, arguing, uh, so on and so forth. So he he kind of secludes himself and leaves uh, the society. I believe the emperor called him once. I don't remember what happened. You may be able to fill fill in the blanks for me. Mm -hmm. But um, he was called and I guess he gave uh, a rebuttal for something and then left to Goja. Yeah, yeah. So leaving to Goja. He, uh, he's hired by this family, uh, I think a, well, a better off family, to teach their son how to read and write. Uh, so he teaches uh, their son. Uh, the son, I believe, is named uh, Waldehiwad. And uh, ultimately, Waldehiwad becomes the disciple of uh, Zayakum. But yeah, you can, you can probably give a better... No, uh, that's story. a great background. And the interesting thing is, I think at some point, he goes to like a, a cave and like he he becomes like a hermit for a bit. Yes, yes. And yes. then when he goes uh, to be yeah. the sorry, what? Yeah. No, no. I remember. I like completely like all like section just uh, remembered, but I just remember. Continue. Um. And then there's also a point where like he he like you said he goes to to teach the guy Waldehewat, and I think he writes um a, a very famous treatise called what is it Hat. Uh, yeah, Hatita. Hatita. yeah, yeah. I encourage everyone here to go read it. You can find it online. Um, it's in English and Amharic and Giz. Um, and it's not long. It's like five, six pages. But what's very he goes through his whole life and you know all the things he experienced. Sorry, what's that? Yeah, like, tell them what to search, what to find. Sorry, the person just put it right there. Atakasta just put it. Hatita. So the Hatita, just Google Hatita Zara Yaqob, right? So you Google that, you'll find it. It's not, um, it's not long. It's like four to six pages, I think. But the really cool part is when he starts talking about his philosophy that's very, very different from church. So like he doesn't really believe in the Christian God. He just believes in, in, in God, like this, this being that's called God. Exactly. Thank you, Fabu. And he goes into different philosophical concepts. I'm not going to go into all of them, but what's very interesting is like, he's really just sitting down reasoning and, and, and trying to develop a, a different form of philosophy. And a lot of the stuff he comes up with is like a hundred years ahead of what Europeans came up with. So a lot of people compare him to um, Rousseau. So yeah, uncle, is there anything you want to, want to add to that? Uh, yeah, just like what you said about him being a hermit, he kind of said like, this is not great are good for anybody so he leaves the uh the hermetic life for the, the Wait, married life he said being a hermit was not good for anybody so he went back to regular life yeah 
Yeah, that was part of like his philosophy. He said, you know, yeah. if you read what he says, he says like God made us to live. So being a hermit doesn't make sense. So I should live amongst people. Yeah. And um, I think, I don't know, there was some controversy around, oh, because Catholics said priests can't marry. Right. Yeah. And at that point in time, the emperor was a Catholic. And he mm -hmm. said, God made men and women so that they can get married and have children. So that doesn't make sense. He wouldn't put us on this earth, whether we're priests or not, to not have kids. So this doesn't like, mm -hmm. so there was, he would just sort of like say, if God made this for us, then clearly it's something we should be using. So there's a kind of philosophy there. I don't really, I'm not super into philosophy, but I encourage you to read it because it's very interesting to see the way he was thinking. And that's why I'm trying to bring up today. I don't remember that the name of the first guy. It, it, it was, it was, can you give it uncle? What is it? It was the, the, oh, the it first was, dude. Okay. Was, that guy, Abba Estefanos who refused to bow. I think someone's asking Zeta Jacob. So we see this core of Tigrines within the church thinking differently, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, most of them are, you know, her heretical, I think technically, um, uh, no, um, uncle, uh, I'm not uh, sure. Okay. Like with Aura Stefanos, there's a tablet in his name. There's a church in his name. Uh, mm -hmm. So, of course, depending on who you ask, he may be a heretic or a saint uh, in the church, <laughs> but uh, ultimately, Integrae is a saint. He's yeah, okay. Saint. Yeah. Okay. But the most important thing, either way, is that like you see these people operating in the church from Tigray who are thinking in a very, very unique way and having important effects on you know Tigray with the way they're thinking and possibly even the world. Um, someone just asked Danny Tekla, can we claim that he's in fact the first Enlightenment philosopher coming before the Europeans? You could say that and you wouldn't be the first one. I've seen other people who've started exploring philosophy outside of Europe mention Zara Yaakov and say that he could be considered the first Enlightenment philosopher. So yes. Um, okay, so do we have any comments, Uncle? Any comments, anything you want to say before we move on to the question and answer period? Um, ultimately, yeah, no, that would be, that would be pretty much it. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, that works. Okay, Fabu, do you have any questions? Are there any questions in the question box? Okay, so, well, one, the guy, one guy had asked what was the name of the one who wouldn't bow down, but I think, um, Uncle put it in there, right? That's, that's who that was? No, 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 uh, no. What I wrote was um, uh, prior to that, but uh, just uh, Eustachios that we spoke on. It's Abba Estefanos. Uh, there's a document written by uh, Getacho Haile uh, mm -hmm. in regards to the Stephenites. It's in English. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. anybody that wants to, to read that, you can go on Amazon or I don't know if it's on uh, archive.com or uh, academic.edu, mm -hmm. but uh, it's, it's definitely there. Okay, so that's good. I don't know. Uh, Degu135. If you caught that, but it was Abba Estefanos. Okay. And um, by the way, Danny, I don't have access to the question box now. I think only you can see that. Oh, only I do? Okay. Mm -hmm. So oh, I okay. It's not a question. I guess no one has any questions today. If you do put them in the question box, I think we only have like 10 minutes left. I have something I'm going to bring up. I think I bring up something like this every time, like weird superstitions and stuff. So one time I brought up Buddha. Another time I brought up, you know, those invisible people. A lot of people were talking about that. They like that. The, this one I want to ask about, Uncle or Febu. Have you guys ever heard of, like, Zar? Is this what we were talking about last time? The, the... This is different. Oh, okay. Then not... It's a similar name. 
Have you ever heard of that, um, uh, Uncle? I, I, I want to say yes, but I, I can't. Uh, like, so the idea of Zod is like spirits that inhabit a person, usually women, and they go crazy and they claim that there's like, it's, it's somehow sometimes related to Zarti. Have you ever heard of anything uh, like this, Uncle? Uh, yeah, I think maybe it could be more than one, uh, I think. And like they can mm-hmm. possess a person. To... Okay. Wait, what's the difference between that and a Buddha then if it possesses people? I think Buddha is a condition that you're born with or like it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's a state of being born into. Uh, so it's connected with a lot of like the, uh, the handcrafts uh, business and uh, evil eye. Like having this evil eye where they can, somebody can curse you just by looking at you kind of thing. Uh, with the Zara, it's something I guess that I want, for lack of a better term, I would say the same as a Ghanaian. So Ghanaian okay. is kind of, yeah, it's like in, in Arabic, they call it jinn. Okay. We call it Ghanaian. And uh, it's it's like demons, essentially. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, That's so, what I thought Buddha was. All right. Mm-hmm. Shawit is telling us that Buddha, Buddha is the evil eye and Zar is the evil spirit. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's I've heard stuff about it. I didn't know if it was a thing in Tigray. Degu knows what I'm talking about. Degu135 says, yes, you shake your head and they ask for all kinds of things. I'm not sure how much of it a thing is in Tigray. That's why I wanted to, to ask people to see if uh, anyone else knows. Yeah, I don't think I've seen much of that, to be honest. Sounds like there's a mm-hmm. lot. In the last two weeks, now I've heard of too many things. Zad, <laughs> Buddha, what was the other one, Uncle? Uh, 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 the Shadow People, oh my goodness. What, what? The Shadow People? Yeah, but what was the, the trivia word for it? I, I think Zarti, that's what I heard. Zarti. That's what my mom calls it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other one was... Dekhidarta. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. There's yeah. a lot, guys. There's a mm-hmm. lot of spooky mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lots of interesting stuff. It's it's weird though, like the perception that people have of Africa and Christianity in Africa. Like people assume it's you know pagan or influenced by pagan stuff, but really, like honestly, Tigray is like at least Christianity in Tigray is very, very, very Christian. Mm-hmm, like yeah. it's very hard to find any superstition that's outside of our religion if that makes sense mm-hmm. compared to like if you look at europe and you look at like easter like what's easter today actually you know the bunny the bunny with laying eggs mm-hmm. that is originally a norse fertility goddess named oster oh wow. so that's somehow that got co-opted onto european christianity even stuff like halloween i think is some celtic irish holiday that got co-opted so that's a thing you see in europe a lot is where previous pagan beliefs sort of get copied and pasted on so that people can be more comfortable with um christianity whereas in tigray i guess they just straight up exterminated that stuff so Hmm. Mm -hmm. all righty uncle the last thing is somebody's asking how long were you in tigray to learn all this history (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, uh, I lived in Tigray for, I think, two years, and then every summer for four years. Wow. So, I mean, three months times four. So, I guess you call it three years, maybe. I don't know. And what, like, how much of your learning about history came from reading on your own time, and how much of it came from being in Ethiopia? Uh, a lot of it, I would say probably maybe 60 or 70% was actually reading. 
mm-hmm. um, thirty to forty percent was actually experiencing, and because mm-hmm. like, I include reading, like because I'll read Brana, like the parchment books, I'll read whatever I can get my hands on, um, and kind of um, even while I was in the college, like uh, in seminary, we would have to read and kind of do like presentations and uh, like reports on different historical things. So a lot of it has to do with uh, reading. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, like being in Tigray, like I can say, like I went to Aksum, I went to Adwa, I went to Shara, I went to Agana, I went to Tambien, I went to Raya, I went to Wadkai. Like these are places that I've been, I've been places that I've witnessed, and it's it's a little different than just reading when you experience it with like the five senses. Mm-hmm. So I would ultimately give majority of what I know for to reading, but a large significant amount of it also comes from seeing and actually experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, this question comes up every time. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have book recommendations? Uncle, what do you, what do you got? I think by the next time, you guys need to create like a Google Doc of what you recommend. Yeah, we got to have it prepared. I need to be ready next time. Mine mostly comes from um, just random stuff on the internet. Also, if you guys want to learn, academia.edu, Uncle already said it. It's just free open. You don't really need an account. Mm-hmm. You can just type in Tigray or some sort of subject you like, and you'll get a bunch. You have to filter through it, but you can find cool alt, uh, articles there for free. Also, JSTOR, J-S-T-O-R. You have to make an account. You get 100 free articles a month, which is more than enough for most people. And um, put it in the stories. Okay, we'll try and put it in the stories. But, um, yeah, that's for me. Uncle, What do you? what's your book recommendations? Uh, just on a very basic reading level, I would say, First, anybody that would want to learn, I would say first get um, Ancient and Medieval uh, History uh, by Sergo Habisilase. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, del- it delves into like pre-Aksumite, like starting from like the land of Punt all the way up to the Zagwe dynasty. Kind of gives a breakdown on a lot of the uh, positions. So, for example, Naura'id, Rishul Usan, Patriarch, Ifege, Akalit, and a lot of these uh, titles that were there at the, the earlier period. Uh, another book would be uh, Layers of Time by Paul B. Hens. Um, Church and State by Tadisa uh, Tamrat, I think is, is his name. Um, hmm, let me see. There, there, there's a lot more. This is just off the top that I can think of. Hagar Ehrlich also has an array of books that are very interesting. Hagar Ehrlich, Zaudi Gilda Selassie for Atze Johannes. I'll definitely read a, a more systematic um list of books um that right. a good question for you guys she said are these articles and books by um Tagaru authors and do you have any concerns about sources from europeans telling our narrative okay personally i found stuff written by europeans to be more neutral and less biased than stuff written by ethiopians so you know, when you get stuff with Ethiopians, you can get some very, very interesting biases in them, especially non-Tagaro Ethiopians. Um, that is a good point, though, that this is like a, a real gap in our people, both in the diaspora and at home, to be honest, where our people really don't know our history. So, you know, there, there's we really need to make sure there's more Tagaro historians in the future, however that happens. So, yeah, Uncle, what, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. But the only issue I have with European authors is that a lot of the underlying uh, 
points, histories, you name it, basically kind of gets uh, tossed to the side only because they, they may not know it, they may not find it uh, important, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, but there's a lot of things that we may get from, say, word of mouth. But the problem with word of mouth, obviously, is, you know, um, uh, how can you verify it? It's like a story that was passed on from somebody, from somebody. It's like broken telephone, right? Yeah. But there's there's so many things that they kind of leave out or may not know that kind of just gets lost. So like with, uh, say, for example, um, the Zaman al-Masafin. There's only limited information that we know. Uh, and even from the European perspective, so for example, say James Bruce, even he... Uh, him and of himself. We got, sorry, I got to interrupt you. We got 25 yeah. seconds left. Okay, sorry. But yeah, no, well, go on. Say, like, mm-hmm. So somebody comes after that and then we see what they write and it seems that James Bruce, uh, his writing seems to be problematic and inaccurate. So it's even them themselves, it's it's a big if. So, yeah. It, it is okay, last thing. If anybody's interested, uh, Danny has uh, Tigray basically articles 